Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, October 10th, following Virginia Tech's third straight loss, this time at the hand of the Pitt Panthers. We'll look back at what was a step in the right direction offensively, but a couple steps back on the defensive side of the ball, and also our weekly ACC power rankings here on episode 262 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. Welcome into episode 262 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. However you are listening or if you are watching on our YouTube channel, we do ask that if you are, you like, comment, subscribe, and turn notifications on so you know when we go live with the podcast every single week. A reminder that this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast is sponsored by First Bank and Trust Company, who you choose to bank with can make all the difference in your overall experience. First Bank and Trust Company is the bank that puts you first. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Love the shorter ad. Read. I'm going to memorize that. Got to get the Evan Hughes down. Uh, let, let's uh, introduce everybody on set today. Across the way, David Cunningham, managing editor for Tech Sideline. To my right, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. In the fourth chair, a very happy Katie Adams. Her Ravens won last night. Uh, behind the scenes, Will Stewart, founder and general manager and today's best podcast producer in the land. Assisted by Carter Hill, helping out behind the scenes today. And I'm your host, Jake Lyman. Guys, let's jump into it. Uh, obviously, not the results you wanted heading up to Pittsburgh, a 16-point loss, but there were some things that went in the right direction for Virginia Tech, but let's get it out of the way. We got to talk about Israel Banacanda. Uh, 320 yards, six touchdowns, breaking Tony Dorsett's single-game record at Pitt, tying Willis McGahee's ACC single-game record with his six touchdowns. Uh, what is it with these Pitt running backs against Virginia Tech's defense that they just always seem to have career games? You know, even, a, even like four years ago when it was Darren Hall and... and forget the other guy that had those huge both they both had a huge game against tech like neither one of those guys was like an nfl back or something like that you know that they just <laughs> tech's defense was just so bad you know without going back and watching the entire game he finished with 320 yards i think he probably earned about half of those and tech's defense gave him the other half with uh, just bad run fits and things like that um there were some other times where you know the pitts offensive line just won one-on-one battles and just outman the tech defense. Uh, but there was other times where you were like, oh my gosh, it's just, why are you here? You're just in the wrong spot. You gotta understand angles and, and things like that. Um, it's never, it's demoralizing when someone sets records against you. I mean, when, when you set records that were previously held by Tony Dorsett and, and Willis McGahee, you're in pretty good company. But the big one to me was he's the first college running back since 1998 to, to go for 300 rushing yards and six touchdowns in the same game. And power that was five power five running back. And that's uh, and that was Ricky Williams, who did it against Rice. Right. So um, I think I think when you when you play a football game, when you're mentioned in the same breath as those guys, then then you've got a lot to hang your hat on. He's good. 
He's very good. Um, he had one 100-yard rushing game last year, and of course that was against Virginia Tech. And but he's had four so far this year with the 300-yarder throwing for good measure. So, you know, he's a, he's a big back without being too big. He's got good speed, um, and the Hokies helped him out a lot too. Yeah, I don't think it was any surprise. I think everybody kind of knew what Pitt was going to do. And it was funny because at the beginning of the game, first like two drives, the Pitt fans were booing Pat Narduzzi and Pitt. They booed their offense off the field on the first possession. Yeah, because what a strange game. And and because Tech's defense started really well, it was three straight tackles for loss. Three tackles for loss, and, and Pitt punted from the back of its own end zone. And then. The second drive, I believe, was also a three and out, and then the tide started to turn. But the Pitt fans were already getting a little antsy and upset, and then Abanacanda goes off for 320 yards, and it's like, they're not booing now, still, obviously. Yeah, yeah. it's like, well, it's a weird game when you start off getting booed, and then you set a record at the end of the yeah, game. I, maybe Pitt fans should, you know, not but, not get that upset that early, yeah. but I. Like I, I tweeted last night, I replied to one of Will's tweets, and I said he had five rushes for 20 or more yards. If you take those five rushes away, so and the five explosive plays he had, he would have had 116 yards on 31 carries, which is about an average of 3.74 yards per rush. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good defensively for Tech. It you could take be, it. could yeah. be better, yeah. But then he ripped off an 80-yard run on one play, and... I mean, just dominant. And, you know, tech tech players like Josh Fuga, defensive tackle, spoke at, in you know in the middle of last week and said, we know exactly what Pitt's going to do. Pitt wants to run the ball. It's pretty obvious. And, yes, they did not have Taiwan Garbett, who, um, who was just held out, kind of a precautionary thing, trying to recover from an injury. Um, and they didn't have Dorian Strong. Um, but still, like – 320 yards that that is and it, and it just kept going up and up and up and up and up I mean he broke he it's most rushing yards Virginia Tech's ever given up to a single player it's surpassed Giovanni Bernard um so like just kind of just like how do you wrap your head around a rushing game like that especially because he was questionable heading into the game it, there was the thought that he might not play I bl- he was His in a sling was in a sling the, yeah, seven days before the game yeah and then there were a couple times where like uh his first or second touchdown i believe that was when tech kind of had him bottled up and he just squirted out of there and scored and i i think it was not a great tackling performance on a lot of those plays from Virginia Tech, it but. wasn't the big thing. A lot of it was just bad angles. Yeah, I don't think they they realized how fast he was. Maybe, but it was bad angles either way. Um, like, like I said, I mean, anytime you go for three hundred plus yards, it's partially because you're good, and it's partially because the defense just has some huge, huge breakdowns, yeah. which was the case with Virginia Tech. Yeah, uh, like I said, I thought. Probably half the yards were due to him and his offensive line, and about half the yards were due to just critical mistakes by the Virginia Tech defense, which I know probably kept Pry up on uh, on Saturday night. Well, he he probably could have had a bigger one too. Is that I think it was Nasir Peoples that made that like shoestring tackle, uh, yeah, that's right. but people doesn't make that tackle, and he's to the house. So. I mean, it, could, it probably could have been a lot worse. Uh, and it was mostly edge stuff, like right yeah. around the defensive end, outside linebackers, safeties. I, I know his his touchdown run that iced the game when Pitt was up 31-29, and then Caleb Smith fumbled, and then, yeah. they, and then they got the touchdown. I, I believe it was this touchdown, but he breaks it off the left from around the 10-yard line. Yeah. And uh, 
Jalen Stroman came down and attacked his blocker head up instead of attacking the blocker's outside shoulder. If he'd attacked the blocker's outside shoulder, then he has to cut back in to a wall of bodies. But instead, he was able to get to the outside. So when you say football is a game of inches, you're not talking about what happened, like getting stopped on the goal line by that much. You're talking about that. Like literally, if he if he had just attacked a few inches to the blockers outside, then that one's probably not a touchdown because he's got to cut it back into a wall of bodies. Not to suggest that they wouldn't have scored on the next play, <laughs> but um, it's just little things like that. There yeah. are a lot of teaching points for the defensive coaches to go back to in this one. And Abanacanda, he had those two touchdowns, like you mentioned, to ice the game. Two plays after the Caleb Smith fumble, he scored from 10 yards out, and then Hokies miss a field goal, and one play later, he's in the end zone again. Uh, but we did see some fight from the Hokies for the first time in a couple weeks, which I thought was good. Down 31-16, to 16, maybe in the last two weeks, you kind of just say, all right, not our day. But they battled back. Day one Lofton with a great touchdown that got the Hokies back in the game. And then some Beamer ball, too, made it at 31-29 and had a chance to tie it with a two-point conversion. Uh, at least like to see the resilience from the yeah, team on Saturday. No, no doubt, because, uh, you know, Tech had the lead, and then Pitt came back and took that 31-16 lead. And at that point, you're like, okay, this one's going to end up at 41-16 to or 44-16 to or something yeah. like that. But it, it didn't. Uh, Tech immediately hit back with the touchdown pass to, to Lofton and then got the the punt block which is aided by a high snap but but you know still you're you have to be playing hard to be able to take advantage of the other team's mistakes you still have to you have to yeah. be mentally in the game and, and Tech uh, they did a good job of that and you know even they did get a defensive stop later in the game they got the defensive stop after uh, after Gosh, it, it was 31-29 after, yep, so after, after the, the block, block punt. punt. Then they came out and got the defensive stop, and then they've got the ball in midfield, and you're like, oh, my gosh, we might actually come back and win this game. And then the Smith fumble happened. But, yeah. yes, it was good to see uh, the resiliency and, and the fight back. Because yeah. you, you didn't really see much of that against UNC. Tech made plays. Yeah. In any time they weren't trying to tackle Abanacanda. Even, yeah, right, even defensively, like – they had a bunch of tackles for loss. It was either like a tackle for a loss or a twenty-plus yard they game. Had, I think they had 11, 11 yeah, tackles for right. eleven tackles for loss. Yeah. Keonta Jenkins had the the, the tip interception, interception the punt block which by Pearson Prelude. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, not Pearson. Prelude, Pearson. <laughs> Pearson's son, PJ Prelude, um, Radford High School zone after uh, the first sack since West Virginia, which was yeah. by Salem's Jaden McDonald. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like tech, tech actually made some plays in this game, and I know it didn't go Tech's way, but I came away, you know, after talking with coaches and players after the game, I came away just feeling a bit better, just because against West Virginia, against North Carolina, they went up two scores, three scores, and the game was just done. Oh. You, and you knew Virginia Tech wasn't really doing anything, and Tech couldn't generate anything offensively. And I thought Tech was better offensively. It helped that they had Malachi Thomas back. Correct. Keyshawn, you know, the duo between him and Keyshawn King. Caleb Smith had a fantastic game, mm-hmm. nine catches for 152 yards. And yes, Tech didn't, Tech could have made better plays, could have taken better angles. Um, you know, that Caleb Smith fumble was kind of a momentum swinger. But there are a lot of more positives than there have been in the past couple of weeks. I think. The game ended up, you know, we ended up where we thought we were going to. Like, we all picked Tech to lose by double digits. And our poll in the preview last week, 85% of the 1,200 voters picked Tech to lose by double digits. So the ending was what we thought it was going to be, but but the the route 
to get there was a lot different than we thought it was going to be. I, I Like, if you thought the Tech offense was going to make progress, you would have thought it would have been the week before against the UNC defense, not against a p- physical pit defense that that is, quite frankly, a much tougher matchup yeah. than the UNC defense. Uh, and if they were going to give up, you know, 45 points, you would have thought, I know they gave up 41 to UNC, but I didn't think Pitt could score 45 on them. So like so the direct opposite things happen that, that you would expect there. But from a positive perspective, it is great to see the offense take a step forward. Uh, now the key is like, don't keep, take a step keep back. Going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that leaving the North Carolina game, there wasn't a lot to look back at and say, well, that gives me some hope for the future. Yeah. I think in this, this game, one does. The, I look at that day one Lofton touchdown. That's what you expected from Grant Wells and Lofton. Right. Lofton beat a guy deep, and Wells th- showed off the arm strength and, and made a perfect throw. I think that kind of gives you some hope. Okay, maybe if these guys keep developing, maybe next year that becomes a, a pretty good tandem. They certainly uh, have to have another wide receiver to compliment Caleb Smith. Um, uh, he's He's been a good, solid player for Tech this year, but... You know, when you just look at it statistically, there's nobody close to him. I guess you can say right now, I would say right now that Daquan Wright is the number two option for Virginia Tech. (laughs) And he only played like 18 snaps. Yeah. Or something like that. But he comes in and he's he's a huge target and they get him the ball every time. He played early. He had a deep ball thrown to him early that was slightly overthrown. And then I don't, you didn't see him again until the fourth quarter. But then all of a sudden, I think he made a catch on like three straight plays. uh, It was one of Tech's scoring drives, I think. And he had, he had back to back. Oh, I think it was the, I think it was the Lofton drive. And he had back to back catches on like first and second down. And then Wells went deep to Lofton. Mm -hmm. And yes, Lofton seeing that is good. But the fact that Virginia Tech, doesn't seem to have any other receiving options outside of Caleb Smith right now. Um, Nick Gallo had that big game, you know, at the beginning of the season, but hasn't done much since. And he, but he's been better than the other tight ends. Yeah. Oh, not, no. not not named Daquan Wright. Correct. Right. And so, you know, wide receiver wise, I guess Stephen Gosnell isn't playing, but Jaden Blue didn't really. I don't even think he had a catch. I think he had one. So you know, just. When Caleb Smith has nine catches, that kind of tells you how how little the spread is in terms of getting the ball to different targets, the, and Tech needs to change that. This is a, something that will have to be addressed. Right, Tech has too many slot types. Like Caleb Smith is an outside receiver, obviously. But, I mean, if you look at Lofton and Blue, they're, they're both slot receivers that sometimes have to play on the outside because Tech doesn't have any other outside receivers. Even Gosnell... I uh, was playing on the outside for Tech, but when he was at UNC, every snap in his career at UNC was from the slot. Like, like he's more of a natural slot, sit-in-the-zone type receiver than he is an outside receiver. Uh, I don't know what's happened to Christian Moss. He played yeah, and he, he was on the sidelines, he, but I don't think he, he touched did, the field. He didn't play a single snap on offense. Uh, you know, he played well against Wofford, came up with a big catch against West Virginia, was running wide open behind the West Virginia defense at one point on the late hit call. And then he, I think he only played six snaps against UNC and now none against Pitt. So he looked like he was making progress. And I actually wrote an article and, and talked about here's the number of catches he's had based on the number of passing plays he's been in the game for. And he had by far the highest catch rate of any tech receiver on the team. And then they've, they've just quit playing. So he's, but he's an outside receiver. He's a true outside receiver. So I think he's got to get more playing time to just create some more balance in, in the tech passing attack. Because, uh, you know, like I said, right now, Caleb Smith is the only true outside receiver on that team. 
I think we've seen more of Jalen Jones, too, out there as well. Yeah. We saw him against UNC yeah. a little bit and on Saturday. He's kind too. of a tweener type who can play in the slot or in, in the outside. Um, but, but yeah, they said he was going to play more uh, this past week, and he did because he came up with a couple catches yeah. later in the game against UNC. Uh, so, yeah, again, it would be nice if, if he would turn it on. Um, I, I just It is kind of weird, though, to me, early in the season – Neither one of those guys were playing. Like, they didn't play a down against yeah. Old Dominion. They weren't even on the depth chart against Old Dominion. And then they start working him in more after that. And then and then Christian Moss seems like he's playing pretty well. And then he stops playing. And then they put Jalen Jones in. And yeah. uh, and, and I it seems like a, like a weekly carousel at, at maybe that last wide receiver spot. Well, let's talk some Beamer ball here. Uh, the week of the documentary that comes out, Dave and I watched it together. Uh, they talked all about Beamer ball and how Frank Beamer really turned special teams into a weapon and a way to score, uh, even though it was probably a net negative day for the special teams uh, for Virginia Tech. Uh, P.J. Prelude goes through, gets the block, gets a yeah. touchdown, really swung the momentum back for the Hokies for at least a little bit. Yeah, and I think... Again, uh, and we writers up in, in, the, in the press box, we were kind of joking at the beginning of the game. I was nudging Aaron McFarling, and we were both kind of like, it, it'd be nice if Tech would just make a play. Something something to write about. Like, <laughs> like there haven't been too many of those in the past couple of weeks. And Tech made multiple plays, whether it was offensively or P.J. Prelude's block punt or Keonta Jenkins' interception. There were plays made. Um, but that specific one, I mean, that's... Where that's in a spot where, where who knows what the offense would have done if it had gotten the ball, and, and yes, it was kind of on pit for the snap, but he flew out there, yep. and and I think part of part of Brent Pry's message after the game, um, one of us asked Brent Pry about the blocked punt and about PJ Perello, and he basically said, "This is a guy who was on the scout team." And he was playing so well, we gave him an opportunity. Mm. And I think that that's kind of like that is a message. That's more of a coach talking to his players and saying, "Look, exactly. it doesn't matter if you're on the scout. You can play if you continue to work hard and make an impact." And I think it's pretty cool. I mean, considering all the things his his dad his dad did here, and you know he gets to go out and and block a punt, and Nike Johnson fell on it for a touchdown, and that was a big momentum swing. And yes, Tech didn't win, but but that is progress, I think. And overall, it was it, it was it was the highlight of a very meh special teams day. You know, this game at least something happened in this game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, like nothing ever happened in the UNC game outside of them scoring a bunch of points. Uh, but like this this game was filled with. Many big moments, a lot of which were negative, of course, but there were plenty of positive plays in that game. At least this game, yes, it ended in a double-digit loss, but it kept you, you stayed mentally into the game yeah. pretty much until the end in this one, and that had, that hasn't been the, the case the last couple of weeks for Virginia Tech. Well, we talk about P.J. Prelu making the play. I know Katie in the fourth chair has a little bit more on the Prelu clan. I have to credit Nick Brown on this one. He reminded it. To us and text it to us this morning. Just the fact that PJ Prelude brought PJ Prelude blocked that punt. It was his birthday, so extra cake and ice cream for him. <clears throat> and then also so cool that his younger brother Parker Prelude also blocked a punt this weekend on his game on Friday night against Carroll County. So Nick Nick Brown reminded us of that. Of course, he calls the Radford games, and now they're seven and zero and 
Blacksburg High School is yet to win a game. So uh, <laughs> my you, old high school, Jesus, uh, not great. But. <laughs> well, Parker Prelude blocking the punt against Frank Beamer's old high school too. That's kind. That's pretty. It's cool. kind of cool. Yeah. That's right. It was against uh, Beamer. Did go to the <laughs> yeah. So good weekend to be a guy with the last name Prelude who plays on special teams. I guess Parker had a better weekend because they won their game and we did not. But yeah. just a cool, yeah. just a cool stop. For Radford sure. uh, seven and zero, I believe. Nick yep. Brown calls yeah. them the City Kitties, uh, the Radford Bobcats. So uh, they are undefeated. Maybe a state championship coming to Southwest Virginia uh, sometime later this year. Thank you, Katie. We'll check in back with you later. I did mention that it wasn't the best day special teams wise for Virginia Tech. Just subpar days for Will Ross and Peter yeah, Moore it, outside of a few good punts early. It just seemed strange strange. And, and and Will Ross, he missed his first kick of the season. He was eight for eight and I, I don't think you're gonna miss eventually, I guess. Um Yeah. So, uh, th- this of course came after all the media members wrote a, a story on him like a week or two ago. Naturally. Um, Who's your story on this week? I'm gonna, like, oh, I'm, Martin, gonna I'm, I'm writing about basketball. Oh, that's week. right, you are. Oh gosh, don't do that to our poor basketball. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but 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 and Peter Moore did not look like himself punting the ball. I think he had had an average of like 33 and a half yards. Um, had multiple punts, but one of them, um, I think one of them Pitt got into him and like roughed him a little bit. Did. But but Pitt tipped at least one mm-hmm. or two. Um, Ross had a, a point after that was blocked. Right, and that one was his fault. He just didn't, didn't, didn't get the height on it. Yeah, like the defensive tackles blocked it, but they got no penetration at all. Like yeah. they were way back there, so he didn't get the height on that one. And then he missed one uh, himself, a, a field goal later. I think uh, Peter Moore, like his first two punts when he's pinning them deep, you know, were awesome. Yeah, they, they were perfect. But like, you know, even the one that like Pitt, you know, obviously Pitt tipped one of them, but even the ones they didn't tip were like shanked, like kicked off the top of his foot. So, so something yeah. was off. Like, and whenever you see a player who, for the whole game, just looks completely different than what he normally looks like, he's, ne- he's never played. Like, he's always been consistent right, exactly. ever since he he's started. Not, there's punting. never been any issues. So, you wonder if, like, maybe he was carrying a little bit of an injury, whether he couldn't really push off his plant foot yeah. or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those days as a, that like uh, if Frank Beamer was watching that game, oh my God, he would have been going crazy for multiple <laughs> reasons, like positive and, and negative. Yeah. And One, special and almost could have been worse because Jaden Blue had that muff punt oh, that that's they right. said his knee was down. And he started oh, that's right. And he started returning punts this week instead of DJ Harvey. Um and I think there were two or three times where his like he caught it with his knee on the ground. And so he couldn't return it. Luckily, he did catch that one with his knee on the ground because he dropped it and Pitt picked it up, but his knee was down. So, yeah, it, it was outside of the, the P.J. Prelude blocked punt. It was not a very good special teams day. I must have just not been paying attention early in the game to who was returning kicks because when I saw Prelude block it and I saw 20, I was like, DJ uh, Harvey. I was like, are we going to get called for a flag? Because isn't Harvey back returning the punt? Like, you can't have two 20s <laughs> on the field. Right. Uh, but they, they were at least smart enough to, to not make that mistake. Uh, one guy who was back on the field, Malachi Thomas, uh, returned and had a pretty solid day as a tailback. It looks like he's going to get the lion's share of the carries now that he's back healthy. Good vision, good patience. He's just a good natural runner. He also runs uh, bigger than he looks. 
Like, like that one, the touchdown he had, which I think was his first carry of the season. First carry, yeah. yeah. Um, touchdown. You know, he really pushed the pile from about the, the five-yard line all the way in, which is very impressive for a guy with his build against a defense like like Pitts, which is a very strong defense up up the middle. Uh, and it was kind of like one of his touchdown runs against Syracuse last year when he did the same thing. Uh, so it was very good to get him back. Uh, the blocking was a bit better up front this year, but he also he does a better job of, of setting his blocks up. I think uh, so. Even when you know maybe your blocking isn't great, he knows how to still manipulate it. Um, so he's just a good natural running back. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he didn't experience any ill effects from from his ankle or anything like that. But you know he can certainly be a big big asset to the offense. And I think it's pretty clear who the best who the best natural running back is on the team. And I think it's pretty clear the two guys who need to be getting pretty much all the carries. If like if there's a third back. That gets a carry on this football team. It needs to be Bryce Duke. Doesn't need to be anybody else, um, because other you know, I, I, you want to justify not redshirting him. Um, but if you want to give somebody, you know, and if you, if you want a short yardage running back, yeah, I mean, I know Holston's a big guy, but I mean, if there's anybody else, anybody similar to Holston, it would be Bryce Duke from from a size standpoint. And Holson doesn't have any years left, and Bryce Duke has his whole career ahead of him. So it seems to me like if you're not going to redshirt Duke, which they can't now, he would need to be the third guy. But for the most part, yeah, those those top two backs, Malachi, Malachi Thomas, Kashawn King, need to be the primary ball carriers. Yeah, Thomas had 15 touches for 84 yards and 5.6 average. Keyshawn King only had five rushes for 26 yards and 5.2 average. And then the only other running back that had a carrier was Jalen Holston. But I, you mentioned it in your story on Sunday. Neither one of them were tackled for a loss. Pitt only had one tackle for loss against the running game. Their, their other three were, were sacks. Um, so, yeah, that's – I thought uh, they're that All-American defensive tackle. They, they Kalijah Cansey. Yeah, I thought Cansey yeah. was going to live in the backfield. Considering yep. how the Tech – Offensive line had played all year, and considering that he's an All-American and a dominant player, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be bad. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, they held up remarkably well, the tech, the tech line did against him. So hopefully that's just not a one-off performance, and they can keep it going forward because, well, look, the defense isn't going to give up 320 rushing yards every game. Um, they're, they're also not going to face any running backs like that for the, for the rest of the season either. So, uh that might be their worst defensive performance of the season. At least I hope Always it is. against Pitt. Yeah, always <laughs> against Pitt. And uh, so, like, just the, for the simple fact that I don't think they're going to face any running backs like that the rest of the season, I think the defense will get better from what we've seen the last couple of weeks. They just faced the best quarterback they'll face all year, and they just faced the best running back they'll face all year over the course of the last two weeks. Um, I'm not going to it's. I'm not going to say it's all downhill from here, but it's it's certainly not going to be any tougher than that. So the defense will get better, you know, by default, I think. Now, if the offense can pull its own weight. Yeah, right. Like, there are winnable games on the schedule starting starting this weekend. Yeah, Miami not looking great coming into Blacksburg this weekend. And we'll have the whole preview on that coming up on Wednesday. But you've mentioned that this season, it's not as much about the wins and losses as it is about seeing improvement, seeing progress. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the offensive line being a better in run blocking. Again, we've mentioned it wasn't it was pretty bad for the first couple of weeks. But if that continues to tick in the right direction, I think that's a good sign moving forward for what Joe Rudolph can bring to this program. When, when I... What I got really worried is when they didn't show any improvement against West Virginia and North Carolina, yeah. particularly North Carolina. 
I mean, we can run all through all North Carolina's numbers all we want about how awful they've been defensively. So I got really worried when Tech showed no improvement uh, against uh, against a, a defense that is, quite frankly, just been a speed bump for most other offenses they've faced. So then they go out and show improvement against a pit defense that, generally speaking, has been you know pretty solid. It doesn't make any sense, but I will take it. And like I said, I hope it's just not a one-off performance. Uh, hopefully, everybody can can build some confidence. Everybody involved in that operation, because you know w- when you're a football player and you know you're not playing well either individually or collectively, it hurts your confidence. And when your confidence gets lowered, you're probably going to play even worse. So hopefully, their confidence level is you know on the upswing right now and hopefully that leads to better results yeah and i think it helps to have malachi thomas back mm-hmm. um i i agree with chris bryce duke needs to get more carries and not just not just a wilkin fanboy um <laughs> but but i do think like in the first four or five games Keyshawn king was not always a hundred percent and that meant the carries went to Chance Black, a guy who, as Chris has said many times, is not necessarily a, a running back, should probably be slotted at wide receiver. Jalen Holston, who, a guy who is kind of in the last stage of his playing career, and Bryce Duke, a true freshman. And now that you have another back to supplement Keyshawn King, Malachi Thomas told me after the game that he's 100%. He's, yeah. fe- he's feeling good. He's ready he to go. He looked 100%. And he said he, you know, there were conversations the last two weeks previously, West Virginia and North Carolina, about playing him, but ultimately the coaching staff decided not to. And he, he said he felt pretty good, but they just didn't go with him. But I think now, if Keyshawn, you know, that duo, Malachi Thomas and Keyshawn King, they only ran the ball 20 times between the two of them. I think you've got a Obviously, you want to get Malachi Thomas carries, but you've got to give the ball to King because he's pretty explosive too. But if if that's your duo going forward, I think that kind of helps the offensive line go forward if there's that consistency because it's not – I've never been an offensive line. I don't know how hard it is to to block for four different running backs or five different running backs, but it doesn't sound like it's an easy task. And, and when everybody has different skill sets and – um, you know, if if King and Thomas are the two guys going forward, I think it'll bode well in the long run. Two big weapons for the Hokies in the backfield, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and when you look at it, I think you have two. I mean, I'd pr- love to have a 215-pound grinder back there, but I think when you look at it, like Tech's, Tech has two good running backs who are both capable of rushing for 100 yards on any given day. But you've only got like one proven wide receiver. So you want to get to the point in games where you can run the ball more than you throw it. Now, those guys only combined for 20 carries on on Saturday because for a good chunk of the game, yes, Tech was winning early, but then they fell down by by 15. Yeah, and then, Grant Wells threw forty-seven. Right, passes. right, right, and yeah. and, then, and then later in the game, obviously for a lot of the fourth quarter, you're again you're trailing. You you need to play a football game where it's within one score the whole time, and those guys get more carries, and that way, you can actually give the ball to your best players as opposed to throwing it to a group of wide receivers that are mostly complementary players and, and maybe shouldn't be getting as many snaps as they are yeah. if Tech had another wide receiver or two that were starting caliber at this level. Yeah, I think controlling the clock is big. I was kind of surprised there were a couple times where Tech went no huddle. And, it, you know, it's like Pitt's, Pitt's leading, you need to be chewing clock. But but I do think if you can if you can make a statement in the run game and be able to run the ball – 
it will help out, I think, relax the wide receivers a little bit, especially because, like Chris just said, Smith is the only consistent option. But I don't know if they can put Daquan right out there, man. <laughs> yeah, I would like to see an offense with uh, two traditional outside receivers out there. C- Caleb Smith, obviously, on one side, and put Christian Moss out there on the other side just because he's a natural outside receiver. And with Daquan Wright getting getting snaps, uh, then I think your natural receiving talent goes up. And I realize that both those guys are redshirt freshmen. Or, excuse me. Redshirt uh, and true freshman. Daquan Wright's a true freshman. But your natural receiving ability, your natural talent on the field goes up with those two players. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, obviously, Moss can't redshirt because he's already redshirted, and Daquan Wright is not going to redshirt at this point. So... If you're in a situation where your most naturally gifted players are younger, then you know they need to go ahead and get get more snaps. Especially because after this year, you know what's the face of the wide receiver room? Right, right. Well, but, I mean, Smith's got another year. Smith does have another year, right, but he's got a COVID year available. But so yeah, but Jaden Blue's gone one way. Yeah, or but other. that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, like your two oldest, you know, your two most veteran receivers in Blue and Smith. Smith could come back. He's a team captain. Maybe he would, but what happens if he chooses not to come back? Right, what happens yeah. if Blue and Blue obviously can't come back? So what's the face of the wide receiver room looking like? You have to start getting those guys meaningful. Right. And, well, the, the question is, like, Tex needs to take a, a receiver in the transfer portal this year. Now, whether they take one or two will be determined maybe whether Caleb Smith returns. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't want Christian Moss. You know, He needs to be on this football team next year. Yeah. He's the most projectable yeah. of Virginia Tech's young wide receivers. So, uh, he's he. I think again, you know, I would try to get some snaps with him, Daquan Wright, and and Caleb Smith on the field together at the same time. I just think that makes you the most. That's your most physically gifted trio out there. Definitely an opportunity in these last six games for the Hokies to get those young playmakers some reps. So we'll see if they maybe do that a little bit more as we head down the stretch here. We're going to get to our break here on episode 262 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. But first, let's check in again with Katie in the fourth chair. An attempt to continue my silver linings of the weekend segment (laughs) was difficult because, you know, given the bad mojo in Pittsburgh continuing and Really, every other fall sports team lost. Men's and women's soccer both lost. Volleyball lost. Football lost, of course. There was a pair of good kickoff returns yesterday from Raheem Blackshear for Carolina, but I just got an ESPN notification that Matt Rule was just fired. So that's (laughs) a name that I would look out for to be replaced, you know, as a college coach this upcoming year. There's already been five firings in college this year, so I think that he might be a guy that's going to come back to college now, but... That was just breaking news that he he's got fired. owed north of forty million dollars. Wow. Just for anybody who wants to become a move, fired head football coach, I would move to the beach. I don't think I would coach anymore ever again. Forty million dollars? Are you serious? <laughs> Adam Schefter, former Panthers head coach, Bant Rule now leaves Panthers, being owed north of forty million. Good God! Wow. Yeah, that was not a good game for them yesterday uh, in Carolina, and that stadium was full of 49ers fans in Charlotte. Um, yeah. But Raheem Blackshear did have two returns. He got back to the 50, yeah, I saw and that. he hurt and uh, Robbie Gould, the, the Niners kicker, because he trucked oh, right through that, him. Oh, is, yeah. that, is that why so, they didn't yeah. have so you, Basically, you're telling me he had the same amount of touches in one NFL game as he had for Virginia Tech last year against Miami. <laughs> He, and I thought he was going to catch on with the Bills uh, after a good he preseason. He had a really good preseason. Uh, yeah. But 
a couple of Hokies from last year's team are, are making impacts across the league. I know Amari Barno was active for the Panthers too uh, for the first time yesterday. So yeah, I saw a video. Of, I saw a video of Christian Darrisaw absolutely pancake a dude yesterday. I saw that. It was actually on a passing play too. Yeah, just destroy the dude. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Hokies are, are looking good for sure in, in the pros. Well, thank you, Katie, uh, for your silver lining over there. Uh, <laughs> even though maybe Matt Rule will just do what Chris says and just sit on a beach somewhere, uh, or he's well, going to Lincoln, so, Nebraska. So he, so I, I just read it on Twitter. He signed a seven. This is completely off topic. He signed a seven-year, sixty-two million dollar contract and lasted thirty-eight games. Well, did did you see the stat that they've been putting around for the Panthers that? I want to say they're now one in twenty-seven when their opposing team scores more than seventeen points oh, wow. since he took That's the job. Isn't he regarded as an offensive guru? Yep. Yep. I thought yep. so. It was NFL's in a college. lot different than college, man. <laughs> it is a lot different than college. So uh, an opening in the NFL, and maybe Matt Rule feels one of those big openings in college football. Uh, I mean, he was great with Baylor, so so we'll see what, what works out there. Well, we'll take our break here on episode 262 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we're going to look at some more young guys who made an impact on Saturday. We'll also check in on some situational awareness issues for the Hokies in Pittsburgh and also this week's edition of the ACC Power Rankings. That's coming up after the break on episode 262 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 262 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust Company. A reminder, if you are watching in our live YouTube chat, please leave a question or comment for Chris and David. We'll get to those with Katie at the end of the show. We've already talked about a lot about that pit game, and we're going to get to your guys' ACC power rankings in a little bit here. Uh, but one thing I wanted to bring up, because Will was all over it on Twitter uh, on Saturday, was uh, we actually saw Pitt get called for some pass interference calls on Saturday, which usually you don't get uh, against the Panthers. Uh, you know, uh, ACC refs are notorious for letting them play as far as uh, pass interference goes. I'm sure those calls just pleased Pat Narduzzi to no end. Um, <laughs> yeah, but one of them was like a, a critical one that kept the drive going for, for Tech, right? Yeah. And, the, the, yep. and Tech ended up scoring. I, th I think both fan bases can look at that game and, and say, we made some critical errors. I feel like Pitt can say, I mean, Pitt's better than Tech. But, yeah. but, I, but I bet a Pitt fan is saying right now, is like, man, we really should have we, we out, let him right? in the game. Right. Yeah. And, and Tech fans is probably saying, man, if we just didn't make these one or two critical errors, we could have won the game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the end, both teams made critical errors. And Pitt won by, what, 16. And that's probably about right. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I'm sure it was a little <laughs> bit surprising for, uh, for Narduzzi to, uh, to see those flags <laughs> thrown. But he, he wasn't very happy about them. Well, we mentioned Caleb Smith having a big day, nine catches for 152 yards, but did have that critical error right as Tech looked like they were about to get back in the game. He had the fumble uh, right around midfield, and from then, maybe 10 plays later, it was a 16-point game for Pitt again. It's just those little mistakes for Virginia Tech that they can't afford right now if they want to stay in games. Yeah, um, obviously, like like the Tech's talent level and, and their execution level means that, that they can't, afford to make any critical errors and you know we saw some of them like like the fumble now to Pitt's credit that was a good hit yeah, yeah. I, did, know, I didn't get just, a, I didn't see a replay but from what I was 
told it helmet to the ball. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was like I said, it was a good hit. Yeah, and uh, and not to excuse any fumble and or anything I, like and that. Smith actually, I believe, went to the train, like went to the injury tent. Yeah, he did to get yeah. looked he, he, at. He didn't afterwards. come back in on the next drive. Um, I the 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 bigger ones that bother you are the ones that you have complete control of. You can't control whether Pitt makes a good hit on you yes or, or not. Um, you, you know you've got to do better in the kicking game. Um, you know you got to make sure you're uh, get enough height on the kicks, uh, things like that. And you can't shoot yourself in the foot. Man. Yeah, like right, right. like uh, the the one that really stood out to me was right before halftime, the Tech's trying to to kick a field goal and Parker Clemens has. The, the personal foul hands the yeah, face, like fa- right. the face mask call. That's right. That back Tech up, and then Grant Wells got sacked on the next play, and Tech had to heave it instead of kicking a field goal. Right. And, and did that matter in in the big stretch of the game? Probably like, not, but you never know. But but that's but who knows when that might come back and bite you down the road. Exactly right. Exactly right. Because uh, and and the thing, and you can go to the first quarter, the first drive, even yeah. um, when you're you're it's fourth and one, and you, and you're going to go for it, and. You know, maybe get Tech gets it on fourth and one. Maybe they don't. We know those adventures that this year so far. But the interesting thing is, like Tech was, Tech had a really good short yardage conversion rate against North Carolina last weekend. It was anything over fourth and six. And Bryce Duke was the, in the game the third too. And six that they didn't get exactly right. Um, so maybe that maybe they would have uh, gotten it there. Um, but they had the false start. And it was a false start and then a well. delay of game. A delay of game on, on the field on goal. Field goal. Yeah. Like, you've got 25 seconds and you can't get it off. But yet again, there's another situation where is anybody on the sideline looking at the clock? I mean, you got to get a timeout called there. If you see it gets down to one or two seconds, you got to call a timeout. So, that again, there's some clock management issues that we've seen that, that have got to get straightened out because, you know, you look at some of these future games that seem like they're, they're, they're winnable. Uh, you know, even – Against Miami's very talented, but it is a winnable game. And then you know you've got Duke, you've got Georgia Tech, you've got Virginia, Liberty. Oh, right. All, all those all those games have the potential to be very very close games that Virginia Tech could certainly win. Yeah, you give yourself a much better chance to win them if you play a clean game. Yeah. And 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 you don't have clock management issues and things like that. I I don't think any of that has cost Virginia Tech a game yet. I don't want to be sitting here at the end of the uh, Duke game or the end of the Georgia Tech game saying, God, we just lost a game because we committed a critical false start and compounded it with a, a delay, delay of game, game on penalty. Field. Right, right. When we had a yeah. timeout, when we had a timeout, we could have used to prevent yeah, the delay I, again. I mean, like imagine, imagine this scenario. Virginia Tech's trying to kick for the win against one of those teams. <laughs> you get a false start and then a delay of game and you're backed up 10 yards Mm-hmm. And now you and have you, to punt. Now you have to tr- well, or, or, I was going to say or, or, or yeah. now you have to tr- now you have to either trust in yeah. your kicker to attempt like a 58-yard field goal mm-hmm. or, you know, so th- those are the scenarios where Tech only Tech had eight penalties. But a lot of those were false starts, a lot of pre-snap very controllable things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not like they were there were a ton of pass interference or holding um I think there was maybe one holding call. There was one defense. Excuse me, one defense. One defensive holding. holding. And, but that was on a third and eight. And that was, and then, and then then that the was next Chapman, play, wasn't it? Right. And then the next play, yeah. Pitt scored a touchdown. Yeah. So, again, critical errors, but there were so few of the in-game penalties. Right. It's the the pre-snap things that you have to control. And the fact that this is, what, the second or third time this year that we've seen a delay of game the penalty? Cl- the, the clock management thing is what bothers me more than anything. Um, it's like 
you invested a lot of money in having a really big staff. Yep. Like, there's a lot of people on that sideline, and, and, and somebody's got to notice that the clock is, is, is winding down, right? That's, well, that's the thing that bothers me the most. And yeah. that's the third critical error, or not critical, but big mistake that really stands out in games. You had the, the timeout that came against ODU probably 30 seconds too late mm-hmm. when they were in the red zone. I believe against West Virginia it was the same thing, a false start and then delay a game. Mm-hmm. And this one, obviously, it goes from maybe you extend the drive to, okay, at least we get a field goal to, okay, now we have to punt. Right. Is this something that you're going to – if it, it continues to be a trend, is this something that's going to worry you maybe even yeah. heading into the offseason? You know, what is a trend? Like, like at one point do, do you say <laughs> this might be a trend? And at one point, you say, oh, yeah, this is definitely a trend. <laughs> so Tech has played six football games, and a situation with the play clock has come up in three of those six football yep. games. I'm it, not quite ready to say that it's a trend yet, but it's getting disturbingly close to being Yeah, if it's kind of like, I don't remember the previous staff having any issues with delay of games. And that's not like a shot at this staff or anything, but just like it just seems odd to when you have so many, so many staff members and it's not like they were all on the road, too. Like, the West Virginia one was at home. Right. So, it's not like, I mean, I you could attribute it to they don't know where the play clock is, but that shouldn't be the excuse when you're at the, home in Lane Stadium. They didn't understand basic rules of the game. Like, they didn't understand that the clock was about to start after the penalty against ODU. Yeah. And they didn't understand that after the penalty against West Virginia, it wasn't going to be a 40-second clock again. It was going to be a 25-second yeah. clock. So they were just late getting the play in because they assumed they had 40 seconds. Uh, but So they didn't – seemed like they didn't know the basic rules – and compounded by the fact that nobody was actually looking at the play clock yeah. in, in the stadium. Um, so they need it's, to get that clear. I, I feel like it's a very fixable thing. Yes, it, you would think. It feels like, again, we've talked about the inexperience of the staff. First-time head coach, two first-time coordinators. Do you think it's just growing pains, just them trying to sort all I, that stuff out? I, I hope so. Uh, now, you know, a lot of coaches have their get-back guy on the sideline. It's like, okay, <laughs> pull me back if I'm, if I'm getting out there on the field. Maybe he needs to have a clock guy right next to him. And that's and, his only job. Uh, your only job. <laughs> hey, if, if you see that play clock go under five seconds, you start tugging on my shoulder, man. Yeah, that, maybe that should be the job. Yeah. Well, hopefully less issues with that moving forward. Uh, before we wrap things up on Pitt, let's talk about some young guys. We've talked a little bit about Daquan, right? But we saw Jaden McDonald get involved, get his first sack. Uh, a little bit more of Mansoor Delane. Uh, he had a tackle mm-hmm. for loss, a couple tackles as well. Uh, seemed like a like you said, if you're not going to redshirt these guys, then yeah. play them. It seemed like we saw a little bit more of yeah. that on Saturday. Um, yeah, they didn't start him, but he still played. They, they did a three man rotation at corner, and yep. he got plenty of uh, reps in there. Uh, ultimately, like he did get beat deep once and got called for a hold, but for the most part, like it didn't matter who Tech played at corner <laughs> this game. For the most part, like, the pass uh, defense was fine. Uh, yeah, that wasn't the issue. Uh, I. I, I I'm, I think if Pitt had thrown it more, they, they could have had more success. But why would you when, when you've got a running back who's, who's, who's uh, going for 320? Um, it, the passing game will be a greater challenge next week against Miami because they've got a guy who can really challenge you deep down the field. Miami can really stress you deep. I know they haven't been as good this year as people thought, but the physical ability is there. Yeah, in terms of young guys um... – Jaden Jaden McDonald impressed me, and I think I think, and you kind of wrote about this last week, and you're inside the numbers with Dax, and I don't I think as a whole the linebacker group is getting better. I think Will is kind of still they're still trying to figure things out there, but I like the way Keonta Jenkins and and Jr. Walker played um, at Sam, and Dax looked like his normal self. Um, 
you know, I, I think, and it's interesting, and it's an interesting point because, you know, Dax Highfield doesn't have any more eligibility left after this year. So what happens when Dax leaves? Who who steps up there? Getting getting young guys reps, um, you know, Jaden Keller, Kelly Lawson, Jaden McDonald, um, figuring that out. But yeah, I thought to your question, I thought Delane was fine. Um, I don't think there were any any young guys that came out and made an error or something. You were like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. I think. I think Virginia Tech is playing the young guys it trusts, and that's probably a good thing. They've, uh, they've, they've I've said this before. They got to get their linebacker situation straightened out because it's probably it's not fair to ask those redshirt freshman linebackers to play multiple positions. Like we've seen since the beginning of the spring, we've seen Jaden McDonald get reps either in practice or in games at, at at all three linebacker positions, and so it's really hard to. To, to learn one position as a young player, much less all three. So every time you play, you practice Jaden McDonald to snap at Sam, and then two weeks later he's starting at Will, then that was almost like a wasted snap two weeks ago. Like he could have been playing better maybe yeah. this past Saturday when he had, had to play so many snaps at Will uh, if he hadn't maybe spent so much time in the past practicing it at it, it, Sam and Mike, yeah. right? And, you know, we've seen kind of, you've seen Will Johnson play Mike and Will. Um, Kelly Lawson's the big one. You know, he only moved to to linebacker halfway through the spring. And then he got hurt and had to have surgery about halfway through the preseason this year. So that guy basically had a month of practice total as a linebacker before he played in his first college game. And in that month, they're practicing him at two linebacker positions. <laughs> so you wonder why Kelly uh, Kelly Lawson doesn't play well sometimes. Uh, I think his head is spinning, and it would be spinning. A, it's going to be spinning either way because he's a young player, but yeah. it's spinning even more because he's had to play multiple spots. Now, he had a rough game against UNC, so they didn't play him at all this past yeah. week. Uh, I, I, I want to get those guys locked into specific positions and have them take all their reps at that position, and I think that would speed up their – their development. Um, so uh, hopefully that's that's something that, that is starting to happen. Yeah, I think of it, and you'll like this analogy. I think of it like a like a class. Like say you're you're learning in school. Say you're taking a history class, and a, the teacher decides they're going to teach you about the American Revolution and the Civil War and World War Two all at the same time. And they're going to just, they're just going to teach a little bit of this and this and this all in the same class. And it's like, how the heck am I supposed to differentiate everything? You have average knowledge of a bunch of different subjects, but not good knowledge yeah, of, any, of one, any one yeah. subject, right? Hopefully they straighten that out, get some guys locked into some positions. Uh, last thing here on Pitt, do you want to give some props? Uh, no Taiwan Garbit on Saturday and Jalen Griffin, two and a half tackles for loss. Uh, he lived he in the backfield well. for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the thing is, like, we so we say so many of the guys, these guys statistically, oh, he played well, he played well. Well, quite frankly, hardly anybody played well over the course <laughs> of four. When you give up 320 rushing yards, you don't play well. Um, they were, had a lot of issues at defensive end and at the will spot and at the safety spots with their run fits and things like that. Some of it was just mental mistakes. Some of it, like like the last pit touchdown run, the really, really long one, it was like that offensive tackle just destroyed Cole Nelson. Just took him inside and pushed him into where the linebackers were, and that was it. Um, I think this team has – the defense has more potential than what they showed on Saturday. But like I said, they, they were either making plays or they were getting destroyed. There was no in-between. 
Yeah, so it does make it does make you feel better. Yes, they have some playmaking ability, yeah. um, but they've got to play more consistently. So the last time Tech, not the last time, but uh, in 2018 when Tech played at Pitt, and they 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 Pitt only ran something like like 47 offensive plays, but they had over 600 yards of offense. Well, eight of the plays Pitt, Pitt ran were actually tackles for loss by the Tech defense, which means on the other 38 plays or whatever. Pitt averaged 17.4 yards per play. So Tech's defense was either making a big play or giving or, one up. <laughs> or like giving, giving up like 80-yard runs. I mean, there, were, there was no in-between. Now, the good news is that Tech defense, which finished 98th in the country in total defense, they morphed into the 2019 defense, which finished 42nd in total defense. Probably would have finished higher if Caleb Farley hadn't been hurt the last two games of the season. And they shut Pitt out the next year. Yeah. After the worst defensive performance in Tech history, they came back the next year against the same team and shut that team out with Kenny Pickett as quarterback. Yeah. Now, granted, granted, it was in a rainstorm, but, but still. Um, I, th- I think this Tech defense is probably a little more projectable across the board than the 2018 tech defense was. In fact, I, I know it is. Now, it didn't have like a top end. It doesn't have like a top end talent like Caleb Farley, I don't think, who was going to progress and go on to be a first round pick. But I do think across the board, this tech defense has more ability. So they will get better if they're well coached. And I do believe defensively tech is well coached. That, that, that's what I was going to say is through the first five weeks of the season, the questions were about the offense. And the de- we know the defense just got absolutely gashed. For the first time this year, it was not the offense that had the question marks. Um, and I th- think that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Like, it's good that the offense is not the one with the question marks, but it- it's bad that you have to place the blame somewhere, obviously. <laughs> um, but but I do think we, you know, through five games, like, it it wasn't the best performance against North Carolina, but you're facing a really good quarterback in Drake May. And this is kind of like what Chris said earlier. Abanacanda is probably the best running back Virginia Tech's going to face all year. So, in theory, it should be a regression to the mean, mm-hmm. and Tech should be better defensively. My biggest questions lie with the offense and if we can see steady improvement, but but I do think Brent Pry knows his defense, and you saw Tech play pretty good defense through the first couple games um, in a lot of stretches. So it's kind of just getting back to that, and they've got a big test on Saturday. It's, it's the old things are never as bad as they seem and never as good as they seem. Like, the Tech defense is nowhere near as good as it looked against Boston College or, or Old Dominion. But it's also nowhere as bad as it looked as it looked as they look the last two weeks, yeah. in my opinion. So yeah. Not 20-something twi- not in terms of, uh, uh, of rush defense, uh, uh, but I, also right. not... Dead last, dead last in the country. Right. I think at the end of the season, we're going to look at this defense and say it's an average, average defense. Yeah. And looking to get back on track against Miami, who, again, hasn't had their best stuff offensively the last couple of weeks. I believe only put up 17 against UNC on Saturday. They ended up so. uh, with 24. 24. 27-24. Yeah. yeah. But so you look at Van Dyke's stats, it's, it was like, okay, he got benched in their previous game, but came back strong in this game and put up really – at one point, I want to say he was like 17 of 20 or something like that in that game. I forget. I, was, I looked up at the, the TV at one point and saw the stats, and he'd thrown for a lot of yards. Granted, that's against the UNC defense, though. The UNC defense struggles against – has struggled against Everybody. anybody not named Virginia Tech. <laughs> uh, so how much was that of, of, of Van Dyke finally getting it together and playing like he's capable? How much of it was the UNC defense? I still think Miami can be had this week. Uh 
they also have the potential to come in and like blow Tech out because you know they have talent, but they also have the potential to lose. The, the key is Virginia Tech's got to be in the right mental state this week, and they've got to clean up some of those unforceable errors, but we'll talk about that more on Wednesday. We will. Full Miami preview on Wednesday. We're also going to talk a little bit about Miami in our final segment, the ACC Power Rankings, but first, let's check in with Katie one more time in the fourth chair. Football is just weird right now. You know, we're living in a season where Virginia Tech is 2-4 and four for the first time in 30 years. JMU is ranked, and Virginia Tech and Virginia are not, and they're ranked for good reason. I mean, they are a powerhouse of a football team. I would be terrified if we had them on our schedule this year. Well, it's not. Um, you know, Syracuse undefeated going into a ranked matchup with NC State when NC State has looked vulnerable. And then as a precursor to Wednesday, we talked about it before the show, but David Teal tweeted out how this is the first Virginia Tech-Miami matchup ever where both teams come in with losing records. And it's like ever. the first time that it hasn't been broadcasted on like – A big – like ESPN a, Family and Networks probably. Yeah. It's one of the few times yeah. for sure. It's an RSN game. Yeah. yeah. So just when you think you've seen it all, you haven't. And, <laughs> and you see a Brent Venables team not playing defense, right? Yeah. Like that's – speaking of like – we were talking about coaches getting fired and Matt Rule getting fired and how he's owed $40 million. Like, I don't, you don't want to kick the dirt on somebody so early in their career, but that he has Oklahoma talent. Like, how do you lose 49 to nothing? Like, their defense, they just don't – they can't play anything. Yeah. And their offense isn't any better. Um, so that, that's a tough time to be an Oklahoma fan. I wish we could uh, get them on the schedule. Yeah. As far as – and I was going to mention one thing really quick about Miami. Remember that this is – this is the last time Virginia Tech plays Miami at home until 2026 mm. because of wow, the right. new schedule yeah. format coming out next year. So soak it in while you can, I guess. Yeah, it's true. It's homecoming weekend, too. It is homecoming weekend. Expect a pretty good crowd, uh, despite it being a 1230 well, kick. It's going to be a nice weather. Should be, I think the high on Saturday is about, about 60 degrees. Yeah, for yeah. first time back in Lane Stadium since... The West Virginia game had three in a row and now only three the rest of the year. All right. Well, thank you, Katie, for that. And with that, let's dive into this week's edition of our ACC Power Rankings from Chris and David. Uh, If you are on YouTube, you should see these on the screen, but we'll go through these one by one. We start at the bottom the last couple weeks. We're going to save that for the end. Uh, Let's start at the top. You guys are uh, in lockstep for the top four, four Atlantic teams. Uh, Both of you have Clemson one, Wake Forest two, NC State three, and Syracuse at at four uh, and a big matchup between uh, the Wolfpack and the Orange this week. I'm, I'm very excited for that. I don't remember what time. You know what time that game is at. I, I don't remember. I've got friends that cover both teams, so I will be keeping up with that one. Um, that's kind of like. Yeah, I, I was gonna think that's like the premier ACC matchup of the weekend. And then you got Clemson, Florida State on on ABC at 730. Yeah. I mean, as far as name factor, that one certainly is. Correct. Uh, I I think Clemson's going to handle them, though. Yeah. Well, I think think I'm very excited to see kind of if if Syracuse is for real this week. And that game's at 330. Okay. And uh, you're like, so like Clemson's not going to be anywhere but number one on this list. For either one of us, unless they lose a game. So, uh, Going forward, uh, a little bit of difference here at 5 and 6. Chris, you like UNC at 5 and 1 a little bit better than Florida State. Mm-hmm. David, you have the Knolls ahead of the heels. Yeah, I kind of just um, – uh, they played at NC State close. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, they were – God, they were winning like they 17 were, to They three. were winning until the fourth quarter, yeah. and then they kind of fell apart. Um, yeah, and I – North Carolina, North Carolina Duke this weekend is going to be a really interesting one. Yeah, see, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, Duke's kind of going in the wrong world. We can talk well, about them later. I've got North Carolina over Florida State for the simple fact that I think Drake May would be the great equalizer and he'll be the best player on true. either team. So, yeah. Seven, you guys both have the Pitt Panthers after their win against the Hokies this weekend. In eight, Chris, we're seeing a rapid ascension of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Uh, It must be insane how bad of a coach Jeff Collins was because they could never win with him, and all of a sudden he gets fired and they win two in a row, two ACC games. I mean, they have two ACC wins, which is more than Miami, which is more. That's why I have a mate is that they've won two in a row. So what have you done for me lately? Well, they've won two in a row, and they're both ACC wins, so I've got them at eighth. David, you've got Miami holding strong at eight. I believe you had them there that last week too. Didn't no movement after a no, you know, three-point you know loss. What, when it comes to like that that middle group, like none of those teams impress me at all. <laughs> and like like and Duke goes out and loses. I think I had you Duke, have, I think Duke I had Duke nine. seven last week. I have Duke yes. at nine this week. I have Georgia Tech at 10. I could have put Georgia Tech higher. I'm still not sold. On oh, Georgia I'm not Tech. sold. It's just a what have you done for me lately That's true. thing. Yeah. And Chris, you have Miami 9. Duke is at 10. Uh, and then you guys have the same bottom four <laughs> in the same order. Louisville gets a nice little bump. They were both in the they were in the cellar for both of you last week. They were all the way up to eleven, deservedly because they lost to Boston College, with, and now they won on the road without, with their backup quarterback without Malik Cunningham. Yeah, goes out. They thumped UVA. They sure did. Uh, in twelve, Hokies fans not happy that, to be in twelfth, but. Better than 13th or 14th? I think yeah. I bu- did I bump them up one spot? One of you did. Week? I yeah, forget. Yeah, one yeah, of you uh, had them 13. Yeah, I think it, I probably did. Um, you know, and I had BC higher than Tech last week. Again, what have you done for me lately? It's just power rankings. But now I have B- BC yeah. back. BC lost. BC the, got soon, killed as, as, as against As soon as BC lost Clemson. the game, they were going to go back <laughs> below Tech in my rankings. Uh, and they did. They played Clemson and and lost. Um, yeah, 30, and, 31 to 3 was the final and there. That, that was 3 to 3 late in the second quarter, actually. Yep. So I'm like, huh, are they going to be able to pull this <laughs> off? And I'm like, nah, there's no way they can score a touchdown against Clemson. Clemson um, cover was never in doubt. So, yeah, like. To me, they're they're thirteenth, and they get the nod over a brilliant yeah, so, something we Virginia so, something yeah. Hokies fans can rejoice about. David and Chris both have Virginia at dead last. Well, I mean, they they lost at home to a Louisville team that has played poorly this year with their backup quarterback. The backup quarterback for Louisville went on the road and beat UVA uh, in front of about what looked like twenty five thousand people or thereabout in the, in the picture I saw on Twitter. Um, just, just so, so not let me a good so team, let me pose man. this question: Do you what do you think the score would have been if Abana Kanda did not play? Like if if, if Pitt's backup running back that's was a out. great question Be, because looking back, none of us thought he was going to play. Yeah, and and so I, I don't know how much of it it would change stuff. Yeah, it would change, but I but but I don't but I don't think like obviously he ran for six yeah. touchdowns and three hundred yards. <laughs> it's going to change a lot, but the fact that Malik Cunningham is out. And it looked like he, the score looked like he what, played. He put at least another 10 points up there for Louisville, I would say. Yeah. Right? Like, yep. Yeah. yeah I mean, so I, I don't see how you could pick UVA anywhere but last this week. Thanksgiving like, week can't get here soon enough. The, you know, the, they. Two and the, four the, and two and four. What, they, are, they, they what were, are the chances there are six combined wins between Virginia and Virginia Tech heading into. Heading that into? Total well. Heading into that game. Well, they're, they're already combined four. for four. I, th- I, think, I think they'll get two at least. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I would set it at like seven and a half, something like that. Yeah, I, don't know. I think so. Yeah, but but, it, but at any rate, like UVA, first their their defense was was hanging in there earlier in the year and playing much better, but now they're they're starting to 
to collapse even on the defensive side of the ball while not showing much improvement on offense. Their running game is horrible. Yeah. What did they say? They had like 20 carries for two yards. Maybe they shouldn't have fired their offensive coordinator. <laughs> They're currently at Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> well. And and Wayne Talapapa also having a lot of success with the uh, top 10 Washington team, or at least they were heading into last week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, um, that's true. So there we go. Virginia at 14. Uh, Hokey could be one of the more competitive Commonwealth clashes in a long time. Uh, That's insane. I don't know. They, they've all been competitive. That's true. They have been competitive yeah. lately. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we see that trend continue, and hopefully the Hokies come out on top again. Uh, so there are your ACC power rankings for this week. Uh, some big matchups at the top this, this week with, again, Clemson playing Florida State and NC State playing Syracuse, so could see some more shuffle at the top in those Atlantic teams in next week's edition uh that about wraps up what we've got do we have any good questions in the chat katie you guys have talked about this a little bit but just a couple questions about if you know they should be playing the freshmen over the seniors more right over gallo uh delane over murray and why these older guys are making more mistakes than maybe the freshmen are no i mean i think i think from a tight ends perspective i think gallo's been fine i, I think it's the other two like blumrick hasn't really looked great he had that call a screen or whatever you want where the ball kind of just went right through his hands. Um, and Dulius hasn't, I think Dulius' playing time is kind of decreased. Dulius is the one that blew the block on the, on the, on the, was it the punt or the field? I think it was a punt. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just has played poorly. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, Wright's taking his snaps. And yeah. Probably have all of them. If it, if it was me, it would go Gallo, Wright. And I, I would play two tight ends and, and maybe Bloomberg in certain situations, but, yeah, I mean, uh, it de- it depends on the, the the freshman and how capable he is, um, and how physically capable he is. Like, I wouldn't play Cam Johnson; he needs to redshirt. Yeah. Like, it's more beneficial to him long term to hit the weight room. Um, Delane, obviously, you you play a lot. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if you give him like Breon Murray's snap count at corner just because he's a true freshman. But if he can handle it, he can handle it. Like, I hey, would. Uh, well, like, look, I, I just mean, like, I would try and uh-huh. see how long he can go, but if, you know. Well, you know, the thing is, whenever Pitt completed a pass, though, that I was generally right at that's true. Breon Murray. So, I mean, I, I, I think that's a move I would most definitely make. Um, like it, it depends on the player. Like, you, all, you also want to establish culture. Like, if you have a senior that is the right cultural fit and is the right leader and is, the, is doing everything you, you ask from a uh, – from a work ethic standpoint, and you want people like that to set the foundation um, of your program, then I don't want to take their playing time away unless the freshman is outperforming them. Yeah. Then, then in, in which case, sure, go, go ahead. Um, so red, redshirt as many guys as you can because this is a rebuilding year, uh, unless that freshman is going to play a lot. Yeah. Um, for the most part, though, like you're seeing freshmen, the freshmen who are playing, like those guys at the will spot, like they're all playing because – Every single player at that possession is position is a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there aren't any older guys there. Um, like, but like, I'm not taking Dax's snaps away, and uh, he's played well. Yeah, he's he's been fine. There's there's no, no issues there anyway. Um, but you know what? Again, running back is one where I feel like if if you're going to use a third back at all, it better then, be Bryce Duke. Yeah, go ahead, it's got to be Bryce Duke to me. Um, Although, again, you know, there's a cultural thing. Like, Holston's always been a really hard worker and things like that. But it's always a tough line to balance because you're trying to establish your culture, but you also want to do what's best Best for for each one of those young players. like And for the program in the future. uh, Right, right, exactly. So uh, you got to take that on a case-by-case basis. Anything else in the chat? 
All right, perfect. Well, that wraps things up here on episode 262 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Before we get out of here, Chris, David, what is coming up on TechSideline.com? Normal week. Uh, Will, we'll have Monday thoughts. Uh, David's going to have... Actually, it's not a normal it's week. It's not a normal not week. Not for David. Not for me. I am... Uh, so this afternoon, it is 12.15. Uh, as soon as I get off of here, I'm going to put my finishing touches on a, a feature story I wrote on Sean Padula. Um, that Chris is going to take a look at. It'll run this afternoon. Uh, Jack Brizendine wrote a, he sat down with Tony Roby and wrote a wrestling preview. So we're going to have that today. Sweet. And then I am leaving to, sometime this afternoon to hit the road for Charlotte. And we've got ACC basketball media days in the next couple of days. So yep. I'll be pulling double duty from Charlotte. Uh, we've got basketball and I'll be doing football stuff remotely. Mm. Women's basketball media day Tuesday, men's basketball media day Wednesday. And it'll be it's normal football week, but with bit basketball thrown in. There. Too bad they didn't do basketball like next week during the bye week. But then, but then again, now I get to enjoy my bye week. Enjoy a bye week. That's exactly. true. Yeah. That's true. So a lot of content this week. Uh, a lot, great yes. time to subscribe to TechSideline.com. So make sure you hop on that. That'll wrap things up here on episode 262 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Want to thank you for listening. Thank everybody on set. David Cunningham, managing editor for Tech Sideline across the way. You can find him at the Real D Cunna on Twitter. To my right, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He is at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. In the fourth chair, Katie Adams did a great job. She'll be back hosting the preview podcast for Miami on Wednesday. You can find her at Katie6Adams on Twitter. Behind the scenes, uh, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, at Will Stewart TSL. Training Carter Hill behind the scenes, who did a great job today. And I'm your host, Jake Lyman. Signing off. Have a great start to your week, Hokies fans. We'll talk to you next time.